Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of So Important. That song was Behind the Lines from the 1980 Genesis album Duke. That was a critical album in the band's history, one that began over 50 years ago and lasted until 2007. In my view, Duke marked the end of a gradual transition between two major eras in the band's history. The 1970s version of Genesis featured musically complex and inventive songwriting, and for most of that period, Peter Gabriel as the lead vocalist. That lineup also included Steve Hackett on guitar, Mike Rutherford on bass and guitar, Tony Banks on keyboard, and Phil Collins behind the drum kit until he took over lead vocals in 1976. Duke propelled the band into the 1980s with an updated sound, Collins fully finding his voice as the band's lead singer in songs that were more personal rather than fantastical in nature. Duke led the way to the more radio-friendly 1980s version of the band that sold out stadiums, produced an impressive stream of top 10 singles, and were all over the airwaves. Rutherford and Banks were still key to the band, and as discussed briefly on the show, the trio was augmented with guitarist Daryl Sturmer and drummer Chester Thompson when performing live. Hackett had long ago departed to pursue a solo career. So I was excited to chat with Stacy Godfrey, a co-host of the Tabletop Genesis podcast. I became a fan of the band in the 1970s, Stacy in the 1980s. But both of us have come to appreciate the entire body of the band's work. For all the differences in the band's sound, there were also some important continuities. That's what we're going to talk about today. In addition, Stacy will share some recommendations from the Gabriel era for those folks who knew Genesis from its 1980s heyday, and I'll throw out a few choice tunes from the later years that the old school crowd might appreciate were they to give these songs a listen. So Stacy, welcome to the show. And how about telling folks a little bit about your Genesis journey? Thank you, Monty. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to Tabletop Genesis. Absolutely. I love the show. Sure. So I actually came to the band, I think, two times. Uh, first in the 80s, when you couldn't turn on the radio and not hear Phil Collins or the album Invisible Touch, um, or even Peter Gabriel's So uh, playing. That just grabbed me. I fell instantly in love. And I listened to Invisible Touch. And I think I got their, the previous album Genesis shortly thereafter. And, you know, as a, as a, as a kid, I thought that was all they've ever released. <laughs> oh, this band Genesis, they're awesome. They have these two albums that are really great. And that was my, that was my, uh, you know, experience up until they released We Can't Dance. And it was, it was only, I think it was in 93 or 94. That's when I f- learned that they had this whole history behind them. And I came to get familiar with that through that video they released, um, in the nineties called Genesis of History. And I just fell in love. And so I went backwards and got my hands on everything they had done to date. And that's, that's what was kind of how I got into it. And everything they had done to date really began in the 1970s when Peter Gabriel was their lead singer. I had some friends who went to see The Lamb Lies Down, but they didn't tell me. But they did oh. tell me the next time they came around for Trick of the, the Trick of the Tail Tour. And I've been a fan ever since then. So that's going back to the 1970s. I am so, so, so jealous that <laughs> you got to uh, see them live back in those days. They were on fire. Well, you know, I was just watching some of the videos from many different eras, and it's true uh, they were on fire in the early days, but they did some great stuff in the later days, too. Oh, absolutely. 
I am one of those fans that loves all eras. I don't know if that's the, the, the most accurate way to, to categorize it, but that's how a lot of people talk about it. Through the lineup changes, the album changes, maybe the sonic directions they've taken. I mean, there's some songs that I find questionable, and I think maybe eh, they should have given them a pass. <laughs> but as a whole, you know, I think everything they've done has been fantastic. And I think this goes to what you were saying earlier in the introduction about how, you know, how is this band still have uh, such strong interest and uh, excitement around them, even though they haven't performed live in so many years, and they, they started out over 50 years ago. Every album is different from the last. So there's something for everyone. And it's just solid songwriting throughout, whether it's your taste or not. You can't deny it. They're all really good songs. There is a lot of differences among the albums, as you say, but there's a lot of continuity in that oh, three yeah. band members were the same throughout the whole thing. And they always stayed true, at least to some degree, to uh, the great songwriting and the great commitment to uh high quality music that they had from the very beginning. And and Tony Banks chords. I, I could hear, I think you could too, we could hear a new Genesis song if it was recorded tomorrow. And as soon as we hear that chord, we would know it was Tony Banks. He's, to my opinion, he's that constant that has been strong throughout their their career. And really, the, the, the he's the one that really shapes the sound, I think, of the band, in my opinion. You think that was still the case in the later years? I do. I do. Absolutely. I mean, I think his technique and I, I hear him even talk about it in interviews, too, you know, hasn't really changed. I think the sounds he uses are different and, and always evolving, which is fantastic. But it's still him. And, uh, you know, he's always after that kind of more interesting sound, if you will. Yeah, I, I think that is if you listen to the chords in you know, even Watcher of the Skies and then go right to uh, me and Sarah Jane. I know they're not the same, but you still get that same feel. That is those, you know, long kind of building chords. Well, why don't you uh, take a second and just tell people what your podcast is about and what you're trying to do on it? So it's Tabletop Genesis started back in, I think, March of 2015. And it's really just me and four other friends sitting around my kitchen table <laughs> talking about Genesis. The format that we typically uh, do is we'll take an album. Uh, it's a Genesis album or perhaps like a solo album or side project from any of the members and kind of discuss it track by track. And it's great because the five of us, we all love this band so much, but we all approach the music in a different way and we all have different backgrounds. So I think it gives to some really interesting discussion and discovery about, oh, well, that's what you think of that. And, you know, kind of get you to think about the music a little bit differently. And we love hearing feedback from our listeners and, you know, hearing what their experiences are uh, with the music and their take on it. So it's a lot of fun. It's been been great. You hit hit on it. I think one of the great things about it is the different perspectives that you all bring. I highly recommend it folks who love Genesis or who want to learn a little bit more about some of those albums. You can always hear something new in the music. Why do you love Genesis as much as you do? The music came to me at a young age, and then I rediscovered it in my teenage years. And, you know, when music, when you discover something at those kind of very impressionable years, it becomes a part of you. And there's a connection there that is a very strong bond. Um, but all that wishy-washy crap aside, <laughs> um, I just find their music, as I said, so engaging. And there's something new to hear every time. You know, I could pop in Abacab or Trespass or Invisible Touch. And, you know, I get the same amount of enjoyment I did, 
you know, when I first heard it X many years ago. I, I really know where you're coming from. I really mm-hmm. didn't listen to anything by Genesis past Duke's. And Duke was kind of my favorite album. I love the way they brought their sound into the 80s. I love the way they still kept their progressive roots. And it was so dynamic. That was the last time that I saw them. And two or three years ago, I said, you know, this band's been around a while. So I decided I was going to start to really get to understand a little bit about what they've been up to. And I discovered, you know, some really great music. And a lot of it isn't necessarily my taste. But what I found so interesting about it is that some of the longer form songs that they did in the olden days, some of the uh, very musically focused and not just pop focused songs that they did, they were still doing them. That's great. Welcome to the family. (laughs) Some of the more popular stuff is never going to resonate with me, I think, the way it may resonate with you. There's actually more stuff from the 80s and 90s that doesn't resonate with me than I would say the 70s, to be honest. What I don't care for is people who just kind of dismiss it without even listening to it. And I think that's, you know, something that's a pet peeve of mine and just in general. There's going to be people who aren't going to like certain, you know, periods of their career or certain albums. And that's fine. They're wrong. But that's fine. (laughs) Some of us are just wrong. For example, I know you're a big Phil Collins fan. He never has worked for me. Not yet. Not yet. I'm not giving up on you, Monty. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But Phil is definitely my favorite, uh, you know, solo, solo member. You see, I'm more of a Steve Hackett kind of guy. God bless him. He's still kind of carrying the Genesis torch and playing all their great catalog of 70 songs live, and bringing them to you know a newer audience, people like myself who never got to see or hear that music in a, in a live venue. And if you haven't checked him out, anybody who's listening is kind of you know knows Genesis. It's really worth it. He he is a fantastic band, and he's just a great performer, and it's great music. Not that I'm biased, but both very. Biased. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if we had another person here who hated Genesis, that would make for a very interesting conversation. <laughs> I don't think show. we talk very much. <laughs> when he left the band, that was just as important as when Peter Gabriel left the band. Steve Hackett's departure was the most impactful in terms of their sound and really how they approached the music um, and songwriting. After Steve left, that's when they're doing less of the each band member brings a pre-written song for consideration. And they started moving towards the approach of jamming together and kind of working together to create the songs as a three piece, which as you can hear on, on every album from, and then there were three and on really impacted uh, the output. I agree. I feel like, and then there were three was a baby step. It was an effort to figure out where they were going it doesn't always work for me, to be honest. It's a transition album. I think we talked about that. We did an episode on that on that particular album, and the whole group agreed. It was, as you said, like transition. They had to kind of figure out the roles and the sound and what they were going to do. So, yeah, it's not, not on the top of my list. At the same time, some of the later stuff, which you were more familiar with, like the uh, Shapes album, mm-hmm. I didn't really think much of it. But now I think it's just an absolutely fantastic album. When you encounter something artistic and in what point in your life, that absolutely has a big impact on how you're going to receive it and feel about it. You know, when they wrote those 80s albums and the 90s albums, you know, they were older. They had more experience. And, you know, you you, you change and grow. I mean, you're not the same person you were 10, 15 years ago. We shouldn't expect their music to be the same. And honestly, if Genesis was churning out foxtrots and selling England by the pounds every album, I would lose interest. Another Mm -hmm. album that I didn't really care for for years was Wind and Weathering. And now 
I see that as one of their two or three masterpieces. That's a fabulous album. Although it contains, I think, one of the worst songs ever. <laughs> what? What? Oh, God, I can't even remember the name of it. I always skip it. Uh, Your Own Special Way. Phil's vocals are so, oh, it's like he hit puberty right in the middle <laughs> of recording that. So this has been a lot of fun. But what I want to do is I thought it would be kind of neat. If, if you gave some recommendations from the old music, what are two or three of your favorites? And then I'll tell you what some of my favorites are from the newer era. And if I was going to sit down with some of those old people who absolutely don't acknowledge the fact that Genesis existed past Duke or Abacab, I would say, listen, you've got to listen to these songs. So why don't you go first with maybe one that you like from the old days that you would tell your friends who came upon Genesis in the 80s, listen to this. This is a great song. Oh, I like this. Okay, so if I was going to... Because there's my favorites, but then I would probably pick different songs for somebody who I want them to listen to the older stuff. So I'll go and let's see, we'll start with Trespass. I would recommend The Knife. That song has a lot of energy. It's the most punk they ever got, which isn't punk at all. I mean, <laughs> it follows, you know, the first time they really kind of followed that verse chorus in a very energetic way. You know, that's probably their most popular from that album, if you will. It certainly rated very high when we did our listener poll for that album. So great song. It's sometimes it's, it's overlooked, but I couldn't agree with you more on that. But let me throw one out at you. All right. Going back to the Shapes album, there's a two part song on there called Home by the Sea. Yes. That's one of Tony Banks's best work in the uh, 80s era. That is one of their their best. It is, you know, for those 70s fans, it, it's over five minutes. So you should be happy with that. We like songs that never end. Yes. Um, and yes. Uh, and also, I would add to that, I would recommend a live version of that. Because when they play that live, it just blows the, the doors off the studio version. I would maybe do like the, the, the way we walk, the longs. Um, they do a great version of that on, on, on that live tour. In one of the Genesis sites that I subscribe to on Facebook, Somebody uh -huh. posted uh, a version of that, I think, from that tour. I listened to it about 12 times in a row. Was, Only 12 it, times? It was so good. <laughs> yeah. And we, we really should put a shout out at some point in this discussion to Chester and Daryl. And that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you got, especially, you know, when I say live, it's because you're, you're getting double drumming. Because if, if you haven't seen any footage or been to a Genesis concert, you know, Phil Collins gets behind the kit when he's not singing. So you got the double, the power of Chester Thompson and Phil Collins on drums together. And they really do kind of blow out the sound. There's a big wall of sound. It has so much more energy. So definitely for Home by the Sea, I would say look for a live version. But I'm a, I'm a drummer and Chester is just, I, I love the guy and Phil is amazing. Go ahead, you go. Okay, so another one I would recommend to the 80s, 90s fans would be, uh, the first one that comes to mind is I Know What I Like from their album Selling England by the Pound. It was their first charting single. I think it got up to like number 40 in the chart. So go Genesis. <laughs> it's a shorter song. Steve Hackett compared it to um, the Beatles, kind of that Beatles uh, sound. And that, that's what they were thinking of when they wrote the song. So I think and it's very accessible. Yes. And it sounds uh, nothing like the Beatles. No, <laughs> it's very weird. It has kind of a, a kind of a creepy vibe to it, but it is very upbeat. And uh, yeah, I think this is one I would kind of put in front of a fan. That's the 70s. a great choice. I just watched it in the early, uh, a performance in the early Phil Collins days, and it was amazing. Yeah, that that became a centerpiece of their live act. I mean, all the way up 
to We Can't Dance. And in fact, when they had the reunion tour in 2007, they brought that back too. So it's, um, it's a, it's a big part of Genesis live history. And, uh, yeah, cause it is, it's a crowd pleaser. It's, you know, you can kind of clap to it. Yeah. All right. So let me give one now. You're not going to like this. It's from what might be my least favorite Genesis album. But it's a song called Domino. Okay. This is at the height of their popularity when they were very focused on the shorter, more radio-friendly songs. They still found a way to put out this seven or eight-minute classic Genesis song. I know I'm in the minority in, in loving Invisible Touch as much as I do. <laughs> and and that's okay. I've come to terms with it. <laughs> My therapist and I talk about it every week. It's it's all good. And Domino absolutely would be one I would recommend too for those 70s fans. Okay. All right. Another one. Again, you know, because I, I, I'm thinking of like the shorter, more accessible songs would be Harold the Barrel from Nursery Crime, released in 71. And it's funny. It's a funny little song. Very, um, very, again, an upbeat kind of that English humor kind of showcases the sense of humor the band had. So, yeah, Harold the Barrel, I would I would recommend that one. And it's a I love that song in that whole album because that album is just there's a lot of there's a lot of big, you know, grandiose almost uh, operatic kind of uh, uh, of songs on it and how the barrel just kind of eases that tension a little bit. And it's a nice uh, palate cleanser, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Would you put uh, robbery, assault and battery in the same category? I would. I think, though, I, I don't know if I'd recommend that one, though, for an 80s fan. All right. This is your list, not my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So, but I get what you mean about the humor. And that's something that's always been in Genesis, which which I also love, too. You know, they don't take themselves too seriously. You know, a lot of progressive rock bands, you know, they, you know, they, they do earn that label of pretentious, some of them, I in my opinion. But Genesis, no way. They take the work, the music very seriously, but they don't take themselves very seriously. So, yeah. Just to show that I'm not closed minded. <laughs> it's a very well known song and might be my favorite of, from all these albums is the song Mama. Yeah. I would say that that is Phil Collins's best performance in the 1980s. That's what I I call the peak of, of shouty Phil phase. Shouty <laughs> Phil phase. Shouty Phil phase where Phil just decided, I'm not going to sing anymore. I'm just going to shout all the lyrics at you. And yeah, he just brings it um, to this album, particularly the track Mama. It's very visceral. You know, the, it, musically, there's not too much happening, right? They got the, the drum pattern going throughout, which was unique at the time. I think people who might hear this song now, they'll be like, there's nothing special about this. But in 83, this was brand new. And the Tony's chords on top of it and Mike just kind of that you know, very subtle baseline in the background. It just sets it up with this fantastic atmosphere. And then Phil just goes in with this raw energy um, and he's screaming at you and it makes you a little uncomfortable, but that sometimes that's not a bad thing. It works completely. And Absolutely. I think Phil is the reason why. I think the fact that they didn't overdo the music also adds to the power of the song. Yeah, that's a fantastic one. And I think, you know, that one I've heard from other fans like yourself who kind of got into the band through the 70s and the, everything after that's been hit or miss. But Mama has always been a hit. You know, that's one we can all come together on. Uh, it yeah. is a good track. Yeah. Okay. Let's each give one more, but I'm going to challenge you here. Uh -oh. You want to tell that 80s person, no, no, there was more than just these short songs. You've got to listen to this and you're not allowed to say supper's ready. And you know what? If you want to say supper's ready, it's fine. 
But let me leave it to you. What would you okay. tell them if you, if you wanted them to hear the classical Peter Gabriel sound from that era? The best thing they've done as a five-piece was Can Utility and the Coastliners from the album Foxtrot. And I say that because everyone just comes together so beautifully in this track. It's just a, a beautiful blend of everything that every member brings to bear in the group so well. When I listen to this song, I don't hear, oh, there's Steve Hackett, there's Peter Gabriel, there's Collins and Banks and, you know, Rutherford. I just hear the band. That is, and it's just a great melody, um, very powerful song. And it typifies really that era of, you know, the, the big, kind of dramatic, longer songs they've done. Not what I was expecting. What were you expecting? Earth of Fifth, um, Musical Box. And those are great tracks, too. Actually, you know, I I cheated there. (laughs) The Cad Utility is like mine. I think, though, the Musical Box would probably be one I would would recommend first. And if they like that, then I move them into Can Utility. Musical Um, Box is is just an amazing, amazing song. Oh, oh, yeah. So since you cheated and got two in, I'm going to (laughs) get two in really quickly because I was going to talk about Dodo Lurker. But what I'm going to talk about is one that might surprise you, given all the others I said here. From the We Can't Dance album, Mm -hmm. the song Fading Lights is so masterful and so... it's so foreshadowing, you know, it's almost like saying we know where we know this era of our lives is coming to an end. And yeah, I don't know if they intended it that way or not, but it's such a perfect coda to their career. And it's such a powerful song at the same time. So that would be the other one that I would tell people. That is a fabulous choice. And I back you up on that 100 uh, percent. Fading Lights to me is the perfect marriage of lyric and music. The lyrics go so well with the music. The music goes so well with the lyrics. Um, everything about it just comes together. It, and this, you know, the sentiment you talked about, um, very fitting. And yeah, it, it, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, it's a lot of, uh, interesting moments, a lot of time signature changes and the big Tony Banks chords and walls of sound they're known for it. I think any Genesis fan from the seventies would definitely pay attention to. Yeah. And at the same time, it's, it's very straightforward. It's a lovely little tune. It is. So I was going to say, as my guest, I should give you the last word if there's any others you feel you've got to get in there. Oh, well, I, <laughs> thank you so much. But I think if we could like sum it all up, what the sound was, I think you hit it right on the head with the musical box. They threw the kitchen sink at that. And uh, that would be, a, I, I feel like, the, a, a good representation. I'll tell you a little story. My roommate and I in college used to play that song so much. And once we played it, you know, way past the We were playing it. The walls were literally shaking while we were playing it. People in charge of the dorm were coming to our door and knocking at our door. We just let it play. And <laughs> were they were they like, "Who's screaming now?" Over and over again. <laughs> it was a guy named It was a guy named Hendrik von Sleese, and he came to the door and said, "You must make that softer." <laughs> no, it should be played at full volume as it was intended. It, it was unreal, but I think that's <laughs> the best way to end this discussion is with music. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll do, we'll do another show on Supper's Ready Sunday. That that song in itself, I can't believe we didn't talk about that at all. Um, that is really their their tome. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's it. But wow, we've covered a lot. And any final thoughts you have out there? Oh, I just uh, really appreciate you inviting me to to be on your show. I, I always love talking about Genesis and and talking with with fans and meeting people through the music. I think it's wonderful. May the music live on forever, so we can all enjoy it. I've had so much fun with this. And I usually try to cut these back to 20 minutes, but 
I think I'll let this one go a little bit longer. Oh, you could just cut out me talking the whole time. I think it would make the show much better. <laughs> Why don't I cut out me talking? No. Well, it's Stacy on Genesis. And you'll have no more listeners. <laughs> I don't have that many now. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> no. You know, but I'm doing this because I love doing it. And I love, otherwise I wouldn't have had this conversation with you. Yeah, keep doing it. It, it, it you know, doing it, it's fantastic. And like I said, I really... Really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with me about about one of the greatest bands ever. Well, this was a lot of fun, and thank you very, very much. Thank you, Monty. Well, that was a load of fun, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Stacy as much as I enjoyed talking with Stacy. And if you want to explore Genesis a bit more in depth, definitely check out the Tabletop Genesis podcast. It is a good one. In the so important awesome bonus department. Go over to the show notes and you will see a link to a Spotify playlist featuring almost all of the songs that Stacy and I discussed today. Go take a listen and I hope you'll enjoy the awesomeness of this amazing band in all of its permutations. So I often ask folks at this point to subscribe to the show, maybe go over to iTunes, leave a little rating and review. So how about making today the day? Two minutes of your time and a happy Monty. Such a deal. Anyway... Time to sign out, and I'm going to leave you with an extended excerpt from a song that Stacy and I both agreed is an uncontested classic, The Great Musical Box from the 1971 album Nursery Crime. The whole song is on the playlist, it's great, and it is a perfect way to end this episode. I appreciate your listening, and take it away, Genesis. Here's the second half of The Musical Box. See you soon, and have a great day. She is a lady, she is mine.